I got saved at 11. From 11 to 21, almost 22, I was in the same church, my home church. From just before I turned 22 to tonight, I'm 46. I've been in this church. I've never known, I've never been in a church since I got saved that had church trouble. I never have. Do y'all understand what I mean by church trouble? I've heard about church trouble. I've never witnessed it firsthand. I've seen people like you have. I've seen people get upset. I've seen people get bent out of shape. Hey, I've gotten upset and gotten bent out of shape. So that's normal. But what I'm thinking, what I'm talking about is major, major church trouble. The kind that you and I have heard about, and I hope you've never experienced it. The kind where churches split. For reasons that are not doctrinal. Let me put it that way. Now, if there's doctrinal error, then it's time to get riled up. But there's even a, an appropriate way and a biblical way to handle those issues where you don't have to tear up things. I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is where people get so upset with some issue that is not a biblical issue, it's a preferential issue, it's an opinion-based issue, or it's an interpersonal conflict. I have preachers that contact me, not every day or every week, but at least once a month. I'll run into a pastor, I'll talk to a pastor, a pastor will call me, and not because I'm some wellspring of wisdom, it's just I know a lot of preachers, you know. And, and sometimes preachers just need somebody to talk to, somebody who's not in their situation, who they can just bounce some ideas off of. And routinely, I get contacted by preachers that are in churches that are filled with church trouble. Trouble in the leadership. Trouble among family members. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be a small church, but sometimes it is a smaller church and that are run, churches that are run by families and not by leadership, but by families. And one person in the family will get upset and it'll trickle down into the other family members and that causes trouble and problems. And people leave. Or people run the preacher off. And the preacher or the preacher's wife gets so discouraged that they want to throw in the towel. Or church members get so discouraged that they throw in the towel. And it goes both ways. Sometimes church trouble is caused by, and I'll use this word correctly, an abusive pastor. A pastor who abuses his authority and his misunderstanding of leadership. And can I tell you that that's just as ungodly and that's just as unspiritual and that's just as detrimental as a church member that gets out of whack. And both are destructive. But it seems like, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm no expert by any means, 
it seems like the longer we live and the longer we go, the more churches I see that are fueled by trouble and by animosity. And I'm going to say this to you. That's heartbreaking. If it breaks our heart as people, can you imagine what that does to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who purchased and bought the church with his own blood. And I remind us tonight, Faith Free Will Baptist Church is neither Christian Powell's church or anyone else's in this room. It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his church. It belongs to him. And I remind us tonight again, and I know we know this, but we must hear this over and over again. The church is not this building. God forbid, but a tornado could come, and it could hit this building. Or a fire could come. I preached last week in a church where two years ago a wiring issue caused the church one Sunday night about 2 o'clock in the morning to catch on fire, and it destroyed the whole thing. Wait a minute. It destroyed the building, but it didn't destroy the church. This building is not the church. You are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have to, we'll meet out under a shade tree somewhere or a tent somewhere and we'll still be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the last night Jesus would spend with his disciples. Judas is doing his deed. It's Christ and the eleven faithful. And he's sharing some things with them that he... In his own sovereignty and choice, he's chosen to wait till right now to share with them. And I want you to notice what he says in verse 34 here in the passage. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give unto you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that ye also, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I say to us tonight that the vast majority of church trouble can be traced back to a lack of obedience to this commandment given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. I will go a step further and say that the vast majority of relational conflicts that you and I experience is caused by somebody in the relationship not following this admonition and this commandment by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting what he said. He said, a new commandment I leave with you. Why was this a new commandment? Have you ever thought about that in reading this passage? Why was it a new commandment when it was previously stated by the Lord in the Old Testament? Well, I like what Adam Clark said. He said, in what sense are we to understand that this was a new commandment? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself was a positive precept of the law, Leviticus 19.18. Which says, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And it's the very same commandment that Christ repeats here. How then, he said, was it new? Our Lord answers this question. 
even as I have loved you. He went on to say that now Christ more than fulfilled the Mosaic precept. He not only loved his neighbor as himself, but he loved his neighbor, here it is, more than himself. For he laid down his life for men. In this commandment, he said, he calls upon the disciples to imitate him, to be ready on all occasions to lay down their lives for each other. This was strictly, in this sense, a new commandment. No system of morality ever prescribed anything so pure as this. Our blessed Lord has outdone all the moral systems in the universe in two statements, love your enemies and lay down your lives. For one another. It was a new commandment, ladies and gentlemen, in the sense that it presented a higher standard of love, one that was based on Jesus' personal example. So, first of all, notice quickly what I call the present command. Jesus says, I leave this commandment with you, and here it is, that you love one another. It's interesting. Jesus said it was a commandment, not a suggestion, not an ideal, but a command. In other words, he says that you love one another. It's, as we talked about last week in the Greek language, it's a present imperative, which means that it is to be a continuous choice, that you keep on loving And since love is an action verb and a choice we make, Jesus is saying literally, keep on choosing to show love. We are commanded to be in the constant, ongoing practice, here it is, of choosing to show love to others. I remind us tonight, love is not a sense of the warm fuzzies. It's not the butterflies flying and forming in good formation in your soul. It's not a warm sensation that you get from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. That's not love. What you just described is infatuation and emotion. Love is a choice. It's an action that you choose. It is something you choose to exhibit It is a choice you and I make. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, 17, these things I command you that you love one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, and the Lord make you increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, all men, everybody. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. James 2, 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, then ye do well. 1 Peter 1, 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently or passionately. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Love the brotherhood. 1 John 3.11 
For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John three twenty three, And this is His commandment, that ye should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. 1 John 4, 21, And this commandment we have from Him, Jesus, that He who loveth God loveth His brother also. Do you get the understanding tonight? That this commandment that Jesus gave to you and I is not merely a suggestion. He's not saying, you know what, it would be great if you would choose to do... No, no, no. He said, if I don't make this choice and I don't live this way and I don't make this choice in an ongoing way, I am walking out of fellowship and out of step with the God that I claim that I love. So he gives us the present command. But secondly, he gives us the perfect model. He doesn't just say, I want you to love one another, gang. Listen to what he says in verse 34. I want you to love, and here's the key phrase, as I have loved you. In other words, I want you to love others in the same way and follow the same example that I've set for you. And he gave us that perfect example. How was it that he chose to love? you think about that a moment? He loved those who falsely accused him. Do we? He loved those that intentionally hurt him. Do we? He loved those that failed to show appreciation for his acts of kindness. Do we? He chose to love those that wanted to hurt him. He chose to show love to those that didn't believe him. Do we? He chose to show love to those that rejected him. Do we? I'd like to stand up here tonight and tell you that Christian Powell doesn't struggle. But I'm going to tell you something. When you add that little addendum where Jesus says, I want you to love just in the same way I have. That's heavy. That's what he commanded us to do. And I want to remind you tonight that God never commands anything that he doesn't empower. And he will make a way and give you the strength and the power that you and I need to fulfill this command that he gave us. We see the the present command. We see the perfect model. And I close with this. You're like, great day. I give you the powerful evidence Would you look in verse 35 and see what he says? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You fill it in. If you have what? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have, say it church, love for one another. Now let's break this down as we close. How did Jesus say that the world would identify you as a follower of Christ? Now, before you answer, think. Jesus said this, not me, not you, not another man, not another preacher. Jesus Christ said that the distinguishing characteristic 
of a Jesus follower. Now listen, is how well we love others. Now listen, you can infer anything you want from what I'm about to say. He did not say that the world will know that you're followers of Jesus if you live differently than everybody else by the rules that you keep. That's not what he said. He said, the world will know that you're my disciples if you really, really show Christ-like love to other people. You say, preacher, are you against holiness? I would answer that question a different way, but it would be unloving. Like, are you crazy? No. No. God's not against holiness. But listen carefully. Why do you think he said, not by your outward righteousness and your outward rule-keeping would people know that you're my disciples? Why did he, here's why. Here's why he said that people will know you're Christians by how much you love. Here, here's why I think, and I want you to help me. Think with me. I think he said that because lost people, they get rules. They understand rules. They do. They understand systems. Now, they may not agree with it, but they understand it. There's nothing supernatural about my rules or your rules. There isn't. Because the world and pagans understand that. Look at every religion in the world. What does it center around? Rules. Even the religions that claim they don't have rules, guess what they have? They have rules. Rules that you have to adhere to in order to attain forgiveness or righteousness or perfection or nirvana or whatever you want to call it. They get it. The Muslim, he understands rules. The Buddhist, they understand rules. The Mormon, they understand rules. The Hindus, they understand rules. I could name every major world religion and world religious system, and they all understand this concept of rule keeping. Let me tell you what they can't figure out. Explain. How is it that you can be treated so despicably and so hurtfully and so cruelly, but at the same time, you keep doing nothing but coming back with love? They cannot explain that. And they cannot understand that. 
And that's why that is not only so impressive and so mind-boggling to lost people. That's why Jesus said that is so enticing for lost people. We don't impress them by our rules. We're not going to capture their hearts by rule-keeping. Jesus said, you better quit trying to do that. We're only going to let them know that we're really a follower of Jesus Christ by how we love one another. You say, where do you get that from? I get it from the word of Almighty God right here. Let me tell you about Christian. I'm good at rule keeping. I struggle at times doing what I'm telling you to do. You kick me, I want to kick you back. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. You gossip about me, I want to gossip about you. You make up something dumb about me, I want to make up something dumb about you. You lie about me, I want to lie about you. That's how we are, isn't it? And sad to say, that's how most Christians act and react when we're poked, when we're kicked, when we're rejected, when we're ostracized, when we're misunderstood. That's how we often choose to retaliate. At home, help me now, don't help me now, at home, isn't that what we do? At church, at school, on the job, in extended families. Jesus said, Christian pal, you don't impress lost people. You don't impress the world for being a Christ follower any other way than the Christ-like love that you choose to show on a daily basis. Jesus, in, in fact, in this verse, he gave the world the right to judge us. Whether or not we're really genuinely Christian. So do we really show love to one another? Or do we criticize? Do we gossip? Do we hold grudges? Do we ostracize people? Do we show favoritism? Do we form a case against someone before we know the whole story? Do we jump to conclusions? Do we get easily offended? Do we show negativity? Do we let someone's skin, someone's background, someone's socioeconomic standard, someone's looks, someone's connections or lack thereof, someone's personality, someone's preferences, shape how we choose to treat them? 
what will this tangibly look like for you and me when we begin to live this out? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, charity suffereth long and is kind. It envies not. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly or out of order. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil against the other. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Or in other words, it doesn't rejoice when something bad happens in somebody else's world. But it rejoices in the truth. And it bears all things. In other words, it puts up with a lot. It believes all things about the other person that's good. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And it never fails. That's agape love. That's Calvary love. Galatians 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one, is love. So in closing, I challenge us tonight. Let's make the right choice. To love. And whatever that means, and it means a lot, to show that, to embrace that, to live it out. And it doesn't mean to ignore wrong. It doesn't mean to turn a blind eye to sin. No, 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 no. But it means that you choose to seek the best in the other person. You choose to serve them. You choose to bless them even though they curse you. And to smother them with kindness and love. That's countercultural. That's counterintuitive. But that's what Christ did. So make the right choice and walk in the Spirit. Because you and I can't live this way if we're not walking in the Spirit. If I am walking in the Spirit, His love is a natural byproduct of Spirit fullness. Start with those closest to you your husband, your wife your children, your parents, your extended family. But don't stop there and then let it flow out from there. Your co-workers tomorrow. Fellow church members in just a minute. Wherever you go and whoever you're around, let them see and sense the love of Jesus Christ in your life. Be quick to apologize. And be quick to forgive when someone wrongs you look for ways to bless and serve and meet needs and then treat each person you come in contact with as Jesus treats you without partiality without preference without prejudice and certainly without pride and that my friends will get us started in this journey to love one another.